Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Could it be possible that your vitamin and mineral supplements offer you no health benefits at all, or even that they harm you, shortening your life or increasing the incidence of disease? Several studies recently have suggested that, yet the quality of these studies themselves has been called into question, and it's leaving the average person confused if they should continue their, their uh, vitamin and mineral supplementation at all. So for that reason, we've invited today's guest to Health Watch to help clear up the confusion. Dr. Walter Willett is the chair of the Department of Nutrition at Harvard School of Public Health and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Willett is the author of the book, Eat, Drink, and Be Healthy. He has written over 1,000 scientific articles, and he is the second most cited author in clinical medicine. Dr. Walter Willett is here today on HealthWatch to talk about some recent studies which have raised the question whether vitamins and minerals are safe and beneficial. Welcome to HealthWatch, Dr. Walter Willett. Good to be talking to you. Let, let's uh, just orient our listeners a little bit to a couple of those studies that have recently made a splash in the media, and, and, and maybe you can tell us what they were claiming and, and, and what your own take on that information is. Uh, sure. There, I think the two studies you were re- referring to uh, included the Iowa Women's Health Study that looked at the use of vitamin supplements in relation to total mortality. Uh, that obviously an interesting question, uh, and what they purported to show was a 6% increase in mortality among women who used multiple vitamins and then some increases with other supplements and quite a large increase with women using higher doses of iron. Uh, the study, uh, there's, first of all, there's no perfect study that uh, every study, no matter what the design or uh, who conducts it, is, is, doesn't answer all the questions in an absolutely definitive way. But this study had more weaknesses than usual. First of all, although it sounds simple, mortality is actually one of the most difficult outcomes to investigate. And that's because uh, most people just don't go along and uh, suddenly drop dead. But we develop a disease, we often become uh, disabled, we don't feel well, and many people change their diets, uh, maybe because they can't eat something or maybe because they become uh, concerned about their health and start for the first time eating in a healthy way or taking supplements out of sometimes even desperation. And so uh, very often it's the underlying disease that both leads to death and leads to uh, changes in our supplement use. So uh, the, the, they, in that particular uh, investigation, couldn't really pull that apart very well. Uh, they didn't have uh, frequently updated information about use of supplements. They actually had not collected data on at baseline on the duration of supplement use. Uh, and usually it, uh, what we often see in that, what we call reverse causation, in other words, illness changing or increasing supplement use, uh, it's often an increase in risk with relatively short-term use, whereas if there's going to be a true benefit, it's usually among people who have been on supplements for, for many years. So uh, that study had um, big limitations, and there were hints in the data that reverse causation was uh, was really underlying uh, the observations, and particularly the uh, increase in risk with the dose of iron that's usually used to treat people with anemia really suggests that an underlying condition was causing anemia and uh, uh, people were being given iron by their physicians and that underlying illness actually was 
the, the cause of their death, not the vitamin supplements. It, it seems to me, Dr. Willett, that the, the media plays an unfortunate role in maybe picking out the most sensational uh, headlines versus picking out the studies that are the most well-designed and, and most indicative of what we really do know. Do you have a feeling that there's an exacerbating quality to the way the media um, spreads information around, uh, around medical studies? Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, the media and individual journalists are interested in capturing headlines and getting attention. And it's therefore not as exciting or new to write the third study that's confirmed something. But actually, that's the information you really want to pay attention to uh, if you're going to make a change in your dietary habits or, or other lifestyle habits. Uh, and so in, in this instance, uh, the idea that supplements might actually be harming you, not helping you, of course, will grab headlines. And I'm afraid uh, that's what happened here. And very often, the results of a single study are not put in the context of everything else we know about that, uh, that particular topic. It's, it's what's new, it's what novel, what's novel and what sounds like. It's really uh, something changed and, and, and inconsistent with what we knew before that gets attention. The other study you mentioned, uh, raise questions about the use of vitamin E possibly increasing risk of prostate cancer. And here again, I think uh, what you described uh, is really correct, that uh, in this particular study, it was a well-designed study uh, that randomized uh, men to vitamin E supplements or vitamin or selenium supplements and looked at their uh, rates of prostate cancer as the primary hypothesis. And the study was uh, conducted mainly because there had been an earlier randomized trial with a somewhat lower dose of vitamin E that showed a reduction in prostate cancer risk, which, of course, if that's true, that would be pretty important. So this was meant to be a, a confirmatory study for that. As it turned out, uh, in one of the groups, the two different groups randomized to vitamin E, there was a small increase in prostate cancer, not a reduction in the other group there was no effect of vitamin E on uh, prostate cancer incidence, but that didn't get much attention. And when it was reported also, it was pretty much ignored that uh, there was an earlier randomized trial showing a reduction in risk, and then there was the Physician's Health Study, by far the longest-running trial, that showed no effect of vitamin E supplements on risk of prostate cancer. So you put it all together, and it really is uh, evidence against there being any increase in risk of prostate cancer. Uh, on the other hand, it didn't show a reduction in risk of prostate cancer either, and I, I think probably that's the right story, that there's probably not either much of an increase or decreased risk. I would also add that prostate cancer is a particularly challenging disease to study because it comes in two general forms. The most common form of prostate cancer is a very slow-growing, relatively benign form of cancer that we pick up by doing PSA testing. Uh, and most of the time, those cancers would never give us any trouble and we die at a later age of something unrelated to prostate cancer. Uh, that's the large majority, especially now that we're regularly screening men with PSA testing. The, there's a small fraction of prostate cancers that are much more serious. They're, they're aggressive, they spread, and they lead to serious symptoms and death. But in this kind of randomized trial, that uh, far, uh, we're, those are even more heavily weighted toward their early indolent and uh, more benign cases. So uh, the data 
from this particular trial doesn't really tell us anything about the prostate cancer, the form of prostate cancer that we really care about. Well, the two the two vitamins uh, that seem to show up the most in, in negative news, or at least recently, seem to be vitamin E and vitamin A. And I know there have been some studies, I think there was a French study on vitamin E and increased risk of melanoma and maybe some studies on vitamin E and increased risk of stroke or mortality. And, and certainly with vitamin A, there was the study on lung cancer. Um, do you have any concern about um, people taking vitamin E and vitamin A, or do, or do you think really at this point that the preponderance of evidence points in, in favor of them being uh, salutary for people? Uh, for vitamin A, I think there's a lot of evidence that uh, you can get into trouble uh, taking too much. And we've known, of course, that for a long time with high doses, quite high doses, there's definite toxicity from too much vitamin A. Uh, but there's a, quite a substantial evidence, bit of evidence now that uh, the preformed vitamin A, we call it usually retin, retinol, uh, is uh, uh, even at the RDA level probably is too much with a major, the primary adverse effect being increased risk of fractures. Uh, this was reported by some colleagues in, the, in Sweden uh, maybe about a decade ago, and we looked at that uh, expecting not to see anything, but we confirmed that report uh, of an increased risk in fractures uh, with levels of intake that are right around the, what was right around, in fact, it is still the RDA for uh, preformed vitamin A. And so most of the manufacturers, pr pretty much all of them as far as I've seen recently, uh, have reduced the amount of vitamin A in, in multiple vitamins uh, down to less than 5,000 IU a day uh, and giving it more or all of it in the form of beta carotene. And I think that's definitely a good step. Also, the amount of vitamin A that was being added to breakfast cereals has been cut back. So uh, unbeknownst to most of the public, uh, there's actually been a move in the right direction to reduce the amount of preformed vitamin A. Uh, in relation to cancer, I don't think there's any strong evidence one way or another. If you do a lot of studies, you're going to find some result in uh, an increased risk here or a decreased risk there. It really is uh, when we have multiple studies confirming a relationship that we need to pay attention to it again. And for cancer, we just don't have that for vitamin A. For vitamin E, uh, interestingly, I think the final answers are still not in. I really don't think there's evidence of harm uh, that uh, although for almost any essential nutrient, you, again, you can take too much and run into trouble. Uh, the, most of the studies on vitamin E have been done in people who already had heart disease in a relatively short term where there's been suggestion of benefit. It's for people without heart disease and for, for longer term use. So the, uh, these are really two very different contexts. Uh, but I think at this point in time, the evidence is still mixed. We're talking today with Dr. Walter Willett, the chair of the Department of Nutrition at the Harvard School of Public Health. If you'd like to join the conversation on Health Watch, the number is 503-231-8187. So, so, Dr. Willett, some of the people who have taken um, this mixed data around multivitamins have concluded maybe we should just be getting our vitamins and minerals from food and we shouldn't be putting so much of our, our finances and energy into taking uh, unproven supplements. Uh, I know that you that Marion Nessel, for instance, advocates uh, going fully the food route. And I was, I was curious if you felt 
like you were an advocate of that position or whether you felt there were some flaws in that reasoning? Well, I certainly think that we should primarily be getting our nutrients from food. Uh, that's partly because we're likely to, less likely to get an overdose that way. And also we pick up a wide variety of nutrients and probably lots of other components of fruits and vegetables and other foods that are not even considered nutrients but still have a good uh, and important biological effects. But uh, I don't think we can rely on uh, food to meet all of our nutritional needs. And there's, I'll give a few examples. One is uh, vitamin D, which of course has been receiving a lot of attention. And the, uh, in our normal lives and normal human existence, we don't really get much vitamin D from food at all. The uh, fish is about the only natural source, and you have to consume quite a large amount of fish, uh, really not viable on a population basis, to get adequate amounts of vitamin D. Uh, the natural source, of course, is mainly sunshine. But uh, those of us who live in the, nor- in the northern United States, and I think that includes your audience as well as people here in Boston, uh, I, most of the year just do not get enough, uh, even if we're outside a good bit, there's not enough ultraviolet light coming through the atmosphere to activate vitamin D in the skin, and we're not going to get enough uh, during those months. And the reality is our lives have uh, led us away from sunshine. We work inside most of the time. We wear clothes. We're basically designed to live in warm places and run around without any clothes on, and we've moved a long way from that and of course, now, more recently, we've been adding sunscreen and protection to reduce risk of skin cancer, uh, which I think has been a good idea from the standpoint of skin cancer production. But all of that will reduce our vitamin D levels substantially, and eating a good diet is not going to reverse that. So I think in reality for most of us, and it looks like about two-thirds of the U.S. population are not getting enough vitamin D from uh, sunshine or uh, food or supplements at this point in time. Most of the, the safest and most effective way is to take a vitamin D supplement. And you can take that as part of a, a multiple vitamin if you uh, get a product with 1,000 or 2,000 IUs per day. Also, uh, for iron, uh, among premenopausal women, uh, it's, there's a high, defici- high prevalence of iron deficiency in that group because of menstrual losses. Uh, the Department of Agriculture uh, dietary guidelines uh, recognized that, and they said, uh, therefore, when uh, premenopausal women should eat more red meat. Well, I think that's a terrible way to get to uh, to get extra uh, extra iron. Uh, first of all, uh, red meat comes with a lot of calories. It comes with a lot of saturated fat, a lot of cholesterol, and uh, probably some other adverse effects. And there's clear relationship between. Uh, red, high red meat consumption and risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Uh, part of the problem is it looks like the iron in red meat, the heme iron, uh, often thought by nutritionists to be good, is can actually be a problem because we continue to absorb that form of iron even if we, our body has plenty of iron aboard already. Uh, we don't regulate the absorption, but interestingly, the form of iron that's in a vitamin preparation is quite well, re- well regulated. If we already have enough, we don't absorb that form of iron. So it's actually safer, I think, to take an RDA level, not a big dose, but an RDA level of iron uh, along with a multiple vitamin and a multiple vitamin multi-mineral preparation, uh, especially for premenopausal women. And um, another example where diet is probably not going to be sufficient is in a high percentage of uh, older adults. Uh, 
very commonly we don't absorb vitamin B12 uh, after age 50 very well. And even the Dietary Guidelines Committee recommended a multiple vitamin with uh, with vitamin B12 in it for people over 50. So uh, when you put it all together, uh, or I should not, uh, omit the importance of taking a folic acid supplement for women who might become pregnant. There's very good evidence that folic acid supplements will uh, reduce the risk uh, greatly of the most common serious birth defect, abnormal tube defects. And so it's really, uh, I think, almost malpractice to be caring for a woman who is premenopausal and might become pregnant and not make sure that and make sure uh, not make sure that she's taking uh, folic acid supplements. And again, you'll get plenty of multiple vitamins. So other than uh, vitamin D and iron and folic acid and B12, what are some of the other ones, other vitamins that, or minerals that you would say have a, a convincing amount of evidence behind us, um, including them in a, in a daily regimen? Well, I think for most of the others, it's sort of a, a safety net that uh, if you eat a really healthy diet, you're probably going to be getting enough of the others, but the reality is that the vast majority of Americans do, are very far from eating an optimally healthy diet, and I'd like to think that if we just give them an, uh, advice to eat better, that they will do so, but we've been doing that for a long time, and we haven't really been seeing the quality of the diet overall improve. In fact, it's probably gotten worse overall, and there are many reasons. Uh, some people are just uh, very busy, and it's hard for them to prepare a, a well-balanced meal uh, three times a day. Uh, for other people, uh, economics is a barrier. For other people, uh, there's not even a good place around them that they can get to to uh, buy healthy foods on a regular basis, so-called food deserts, which describe a large part of uh, urban America and a very large part of rural America as well. So uh, there, uh, I, I think it's wishful thinking to believe that uh, just because we say so, people, we should expect that people will eat a healthy diet. So again, that's the sort of safety net that a multiple vitamin can provide. If you look at the data, many people are quite short in uh, some of the other B vitamins, uh, vitamin B6, for example. Interestingly, a lot of people are short on this, uh, some of these B vitamins who are trying to eat a healthy diet. They've cut back on animal products, including red meat, uh, but they haven't adequately replaced those with other good sources like uh, legumes. Um, and uh, even though they think they may be eating a very healthy diet and have some pretty serious holes nutritionally. Let's take our first caller. Welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Dr. Walter Willett. Hi. Um, I had some questions. I had looked up some articles on vitamin C and found something by a Dr. Robert F. Kath Cathcart, uh, copyrighted in 94, about bowel tolerant doses and dealing with... Um, flus and all sorts of stresses to the body and just uh, wondered if you knew anything about this where you might take uh, 100 grams within a day um, as a prescription to help uh, deal with any kind of infections or whatever. Uh, that's a pretty huge dose. Um, I've, uh, there has been a large literature, I don't rem remember seeing that particular article, uh, but there's been a large literature on uh, use of megadoses mega for vitamin C, and there are some. There is some evidence of mild symptom relief from colds and other similar viral infections, but not really much effect on the underlying uh, disease itself. So, I 
don't think there's a good basis for taking those uh, megadoses of vitamin C at this point in time. Thank you for the call. So, so Dr. Willett, what are some of the um, vitamins or minerals or circumstances in which you would steer people away from a specific vitamin or mineral? Well, I think probably the main issue is dose. Uh, maybe uh, is, is, has, was suggested uh, going very high on doses uh, uh, well above the RDA uh, is somewhat risky that uh, we know that these are uh, critical biological molecules and almost always if you if there's something that's essential if you take too much you can start to run into trouble uh, there's uh, for example some studies showing as we already talked about adverse effects of uh, preformed vitamin A, even at doses that are not very much above the RDA, and that seems to be one where there's the close, the, the narrowest uh, window of uh, safe use. Um, what about uh, iron in, in men or iron in, in non-menstruating women? Is that a health risk at all? Well, uh, in general, we don't need extra iron if we're not losing it. And as you suggest, uh, in men and postmenopausal women, our body conserves iron uh, very well, and we almost for sure don't need to use a supplement. Uh, so I, I think it's not necessary in those conditions. If someone is losing blood in that situation, it should raise some uh, signals that we need to look carefully and understand what the cause of the blood loss is. It could be from a bleeding malignancy, for example, that we need to know about and treat. So in general, iron is not uh, a, a good uh, something that we should be taking. On the other hand, if someone is just taking an RDA level there, uh, it's almost for sure not going to cause harm either. It's the higher dose iron that is most uh, worrisome. There are a few individuals uh, that have a gene for hemochromatosis uh, that can uh, cause us to absorb iron, uh, again, even when we don't need it. And uh, that can accumulate and lead to cardiovascular disease and risk of type 2 diabetes. It's a fairly frequent uh, genetic abnormality. Uh, for most people, it's probably not even uh, going to be diagnosed, but too much iron uh, can, and those persons have uh, an adverse effect. Well, let's take another caller. You're on Health Watch with Dr. Walter Willett. Hi, my name is Ian. How are you doing? Good. What's your um, question today? Okay, my question has to do with... Uh, vitamin supplements these days that have a lot of um, other things in them besides vitamins. Um, I'm looking at a product called Joint Health, which is uh, a multivitamin. It has all the usual multivitamins. I mean, it has all the usual vitamins, and it has a great number of minerals as well. But then it also has um, lots of different uh, other things, like most of it's a number of different herbs. It has glucosamine, uh, MSM, lysine, boswellia. Devil's claw, whatever that is, uh, ginger root, nettle leaf, turmeric. Uh, specifically, I mean, it's got many more. I won't, I won't bother to read the whole list, but um, some of these things I found out have um, will interact with various medications. For example, um, for people taking um, medications like blood thinners, like Coumadin or warfarin, um, the uh, nettle leaf. It's probably contraindicated because um, it's got vitamin K, which would thicken the blood and sort of counteract the... Uh, well, thank you for the call. We'll uh, we'll take your answer off the air. And uh, Dr. Willett, I, I know that uh, you probably can't answer about all these specific ingredients, but do you have concerns about some of these uh, 
supplements that are trying to pack everything in in one in one thing. Right. Yes. It sounds like almost a whole garden there, along with the minerals and vitamins. And uh, in general, we know very, very little about the long-term consequences of these uh, additional or the herbal type of preparations. Uh, that we just haven't had enough people who've been taking them for a longer period of time and been studied systematically to be able to uh, really make some comment on it uh, in an informed way. So, in, in general, I, I I don't recommend. Uh, taking herbal supplements, uh, they definitely can cause harm. Uh, some might be causing some benefits for some people, but uh, we simply don't have good evidence one way or another. Well, c- certainly this person, if he's concerned about medical, uh, with medication interactions, might want to just take a straightforward multivitamin uh, with minerals and vitamins and not the other supplements. I think that's true. If somebody though, is on Coumadin, and of course in general, uh, everyone, if they're going to be taking a supplement, should inform their physician about what they're doing, and, and uh, their physician might have some uh, specific thoughts. But that particular example that was given of someone being on Coumadin, uh, definitely there's vitamin K in a multiple vitamin, uh, and it's important to know for the physician if someone's on Coumadin to know about that. In general, it's not going to be a problem as long as one doesn't change the vitamin K intake. And of course, you can do that uh, by eating a lot of greens and things too. It's not just a supplement, but a, a big change can throw off your uh, the effects of the Coumadin and lead to excessive bleeding or inadequate anticoagulation. Let's see if we can squeeze in another call or two. Uh, welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Dr. Walter Willett. Hi, I have a, uh, my question for the doctor is these studies that you've done, are they on natural vitamins or are they on synthetic, uh, with synthetic vitamins? I'll take the answer off the air. That's a great question. I was going to ask you the same thing, Dr. Willett. Like, for instance, with vitamin E, is that a, do you think that's a valid criticism that most of the studies have been done on the alpha form rather than the natural occurring gamma form? Well, that can be a very uh, big difference. Uh, those are, are very different preparations. I think that's not so much. It's more the DL isomer that's the biggest issue there. But definitely gamma tocopherol and alpha tocopherol have very different effects. Um, and should be evaluated uh, independently. Uh, in general, in terms of whether they're natural or uh, uh, or, or synthesized uh, vitamins, probably is not going to be uh, make much of a difference. But we should pay attention to it. It's possible in some circumstances it might. And do you have any sense or feeling about whole food vitamins? Vitamins where they're you putting concentrates of of foods where those vitamins come from in the vitamin itself. Well, that may be okay. A lot of uh, what I've seen in terms of preparations have uh, been extracts of whole foods, and with but by the time you put it in a capsule, the amounts are so small uh, that it really is probably uh, trivial. And then sometimes they add synthetic vitamins to that, and that's probably where any effect is really coming from. So uh, I, these extracts of food, uh, I don't think, really make too much sense. It's, again, there it is really. Uh, a situation where it's much better to have the whole food uh, as you would naturally eat it. Sure. Well, let's take one last call before the end of the half hour. Uh, welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air. Yeah, hello, uh, doctor. Do uh, birth control pills and psychiatric uh, medications affect vitamins and minerals and that in our body? Uh, thank you. Thanks for the call. Sure. Uh, yes, they can. And uh, there's uh, been some evidence that uh, vitamin B6 for example, uh, is interfered with by uh, oral contraceptives and can 
alter requirements. So there are some possibilities with interference. And again, that's an important reason why it's uh, really uh, critical to uh, discuss use of supplements with your physician. Well, to end the half hour, Dr. Willett, are there any non-vitamin and mineral supplements that you recommend that people for general health promotion take? I'm thinking of fish oil or CoQ10 or other things that maybe you feel confident about the the research behind them. Well, fish oils can play an important uh, beneficial role for many people. Uh, Particularly, there is uh, is very good evidence from randomized trials that people who were uh, given... Uh, fish oil capsules did have lower recurrence of, of fatal coronary heart disease, specifically reduction of sudden cardiac death uh, compared to placebo. Uh, and if someone's not consuming fish on a regular basis, then I think it is probably a reasonable uh, idea to take fish oil capsules. But if you're generally healthy and having fish uh, two or three times a week or so or more, I, then I don't think fish oil capsules are really going to be necessary. Well, it's great having you on Health Watch today. Good to talk to you. We're talking today with Dr. Walter Willett, the chair of the Department of Nutrition at Harvard School of Public Health and the author of Eat, Drink, and Be Healthy. If you missed part of today's program, it will be archived at kboo.fm slash healthwatch. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.